This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 44. You know, raising kids is like a walk in the park. Maybe Jurassic Park. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show today. I'm really excited about this episode. Today, I'm interviewing Julia Pappas. Julia and I know each other through a podcast launch group uh, through Pat Flynn's Power Up Podcasting. Uh, Same with several of the other guests that you have gotten used to hearing thus far. Uh, Julia is a cognitive psychologist. She's a parent coach. She's a nationally certified school psychologist. She's been in the industry for a little over 15 years now. She works with both parents and kids as well as schools and school systems trying to figure out behavioral regulation, learning needs, child development. She's a real expert in this field, and she has a really interesting take on the parenting of kids, especially today. And with me and my wife having two children, sub three years old, um, this is obviously a topic that's near and dear to our heart. Uh, But I, I think it's something that I hope that you guys will get something out of as well, because obviously, not only necessarily parenting your own kids, but also having a perspective on parenting, whether you have kids or not, um, having a reasonable perspective on the way that others parent their kids and the the visual results of parenting styles that we see out there. Um, Having a relatively reasoned perspective on those things is something that I find helpful. That's something that Julie and I get into a little bit. You know, we all we all have those scenarios, especially as parents where, you know, you're wandering through the grocery store and there's the kid that's over there that's screaming at the top of his lungs because he doesn't have any, you know, because he's not getting the candy bar that he asked for or that she asked for, you know, and obviously the, our natural instinct is to be incredibly judgmental towards the parents and include incredibly dismissive of the children when we don't really necessarily know what's going on there. We don't know uh, where... We don't know what happened just before that day. We don't know what happened to this kid a few months ago. We don't know that maybe the fact that they're simply standing there in public and only screaming at the top of their lungs, that this might be significant progress compared to where this kid may have been three months ago after experiencing a significant trauma. Um, just a real, just we got into a lot of really interesting stuff. I really enjoyed this conversation with Julia, and I hope you do as well. Without further ado, I bring you Julia Pappas. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Julia, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Jason. Good to be here. Yeah, no no problem at all. The audience obviously got a bit of an idea about you and your background 
in the intro that they just listened to, but obviously you're sort of new to the, to the small moves podcast. So I'd, I'd love for you to give a little bit more of your background uh, to the audience, just so they have a little bit better idea who they're going to be listening to for the next hour or so. Um, so go, go ahead and f- feel free to touch on a point that you want. Obviously they know what you do professionally. They know where you're from. Uh, but beyond that, just, you know, go, go ahead and let it fly. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, you know, I am a cognitively trained psychologist. So what that means is um, my the focus of my work is all about how the brain works when it thinks and problem solves and evaluates information around them. But in studying that, I got curious with, you know, how the brain of children thinks, because that's where a lot of the learning is pretty observable, right? Mm -hmm. When children are young, you can see them thinking through something. So it's almost like you you could get into their head almost Mm -hmm. and because they tell you about everything they're learning. So this group um, became of kind of the focus of my my work. So in studying the children and the mind and how things work in that regard, I ended up working in the school setting. Because that's where you get a lot of children, sure. <laughs> right? Um, and so I uh, became a licensed school psychologist. I'm also a nationally certified school psychologist. But um, what that led me to later is to realize that uh, in a school setting, in mm-hmm. the typical school setting, there's only so much you can do for one child because sure. of the group component and the curriculum expectations. So... Um, with that, I started thinking, you know, who is really closer to the child to make a bigger impact? And of course, it's the child's caregivers or parents, whoever they live with, right? Sure. So from that perspective, I started having a lot of conversations with parents, not only teachers, um, and just found more opportunity to impact the, the the child's life more by talking to their caregivers. A lot of the times I would have a kiddo uh, sent to me to work on this or that issue, but if your caseload is the way they usually are, you've probably seen that child once a week, maybe for half an hour, um, but that child is with other adults around them on a daily basis, right? Sure. So thinking of it from that perspective, I was thinking if I could give some skills to the parents that I'm trying to also give to the child, then this child will get so much more out of the work that they're doing with me or just just on their own in their life, they will have more support and their circle of support is just stronger. Mm-hmm. So that led me to considering a little bit more work with parents and becoming a parent coach and just giving more of my time to the parents. Gotcha. Now, what what would you say ba- based on the experience that you've had working with parents? Like, wh- where are you seeing a disconnect? Like, involving involving the parents in the kids' education. Like the my from what I've seen, you know, parents don't really have. I mean, I I speak in gigantic broad generalities, and that's why I talk to smart people like you because you can make me so like <laughs> you can kind of hone down the you know chimp speak that I use most of the time Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to (laughs) pretending like I know what I'm talking about. But, you know, just (laughs) generally speaking, it's like parents is like, well, that's why the kid goes to school. Like they're the ones doing Mm -hmm. the education. Like I'm not dealing real. I'm not going to deal with that at home. I might help with homework, Mm -hmm. but generally speaking, that's where the line is drawn a lot of times with parents. Like what, what of the client yeah. of the clients that you've had like what percentage of the work that you're doing with them would you say is more training the parents 
what their role is and then what to do versus parents that already get it and are just looking for the right strategies to implement with their kids. Like what, what would you say the balance of that is? Oh my goodness. You know, I feel like I need to go back to my data and look it through, but I think anyone that comes with a question about their child, that conversation can start in one place and then kind of shift into a different direction. You know, someone that may feel frustrated with the school system and feels like, well, the school needs to do better and more for the child can see opportunities over time and over um, a span of conversations we have that there is a lot of capacity that they have within Mm. their home to give the child what the child needs. But I think we have sort of been conditioned to delegate um, development and kind of the the growing and the education of the child to other people. And we kind of forget that, you know, those people kind of have a role, but also end up having their own agendas in the school setting. There's the curriculum, there's all these other components to it that um, may or may not align with your values as parents. And you may still um, see value in the education and the whole kind of system, but it's not complete is what I'm saying. So when the parent sees that, that the school is not there to give everything possible for their child, I, I, I see them start seeing opportunities to do something that that they can You know, I think there's just um, expectations on the school are different and it depends what kind of school you're in. You know, I worked in uh, private sector as well well as public. I um, was a director of programs for almost five years. So and it's people who are paying for education. And even then, still, um, there is a lot of room for parents to see that they have and, and they should take the opportunity to have a higher, bigger impact. And it's, you know, a, it's interesting though that w- when you look at the private school route, because you know I, I was a, I was a private school kid basically from third grade through high school. Yeah, I was in, I was in uh-huh. I was in Catholic school myself. God help me. Anyway, um, the you'd almost you'd almost say at least from what I've seen, you know, there's there's the stereotypical okay, there's public education then versus private education that the parents have to pay for out of their own pocket. The mm-hmm. one would imagine that, well, obviously if these parents think so much of their children and their future that they want to try and seek out a better option than the default one that's available, that they would be the ones that would be far more engaged in the education of their kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I saw that that wasn't, Maybe that wasn't necessarily the case, if not, maybe more in that direction, where it's like, well, look, I'm paying for this stuff. I expect you to do the schools to be even more responsible for the lion's share mm-hmm. of my kids' development and education. Whereas, you know, with kind of like the old school, the old thing about you get what you pay for, you know, yes, pe- people, yeah. people look at public schools like, well, I don't really expect them to do much of, with my kids in public school. It doesn't cost me anything. But when I'm mm-hmm. spending, when I'm spending $16,000 for elementary school, you're like, and like those, those kinds of parents are almost like, I just want to pick my kid up and bring him home and let him do his own thing. And then I'll bring him back to, you know, the compound the next day. And, you know, you guys do everything. <laughs> you guys do everything else. Like we'll feed him dinner. We'll watch movies. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is your responsibility. And if you don't do that as a school, then you're a failing school. 
right not true not true sadly Mm -hmm. not true but a a sad a sad you know sort of a sad observation that i've noticed over the years i mean is that i don't know if Mm -hmm. this is committing professional suicide on your end to ask you if you think (laughs) hey no not at all is that true but you know i'm sure you know you see some you do see some of that like what what do you yes What's yes, and I and I think having had a number of really difficult conversations with parents, there is a way to bring that very topic and the point you just brought up to the table and just say, "Look, this is the elephant in the room, and if we cannot talk about it, we're not going to make progress. We're going to be dancing around certain issues and you know pretend like we're solving something here, and but in the end, we're going to be delegating to each other what we think the other person should be doing." Sure. So. It definitely those conversations happen all the time, and it's. Um, I think it, it's it's a problem of definitions and understanding of the roles, you know. So mm-hmm. if someone has that perception, um, you know, I'm paying for the school, maybe it's twenty thousand dollars a year. What are you guys doing if you're not doing this and you're not doing that? Why are you asking for me to contribute even more? Sure. I think it's all about how the parent in this case sees his or her role you know mm-hmm. um, we can delegate education by sending the child to a school and we can decide who is the person that's going to hold that for us mm-hmm. could be a public school you find a good school you like you maybe sometimes people move to find a better school mm-hmm. um, that's still free you may find a charter school that kind of fits your philosophy but or you pay for a private school um, but in this way I think education can be delegated and some people take it back into their homes and do homeschooling but I think with delegating education of the child a lot of the times what I see parents do is trying to delegate parenting to the teachers mm. and that just cannot happen I you know the system is not set up that way to begin with but I think if we just reflect on why we have children and how what important mission that can be for us personally, mm-hmm. why would you want to delegate something so precious somewhere oh, sure. else? You know. Oh, sure. So I think once we get to that point in the conversation, the roles become clear, and then it becomes more clear that this part cannot be delegated. I actually want it back. You know, never mind. Sure. Let me take that back, and I will work on that. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wonder, I mean, and that, that's something that's been incredibly important in our family since we, since we've had our kids, you know, our first one go almost three years ago. (laughs) Um, and then the other one in May of last year, (laughs) um, the, you know, something, something that's been critical for us is the importance of us being their parents. Like we're, you know, we, we've, we've had the opportunities to do, you know, the, the daycare thing, the nanny thing, the, the babysitter thing. And we, mm-hmm. we, we actively try, we actively choose not to, I mean, that, that's something that's been an incredible burden for us, but it, it's the, the rewards of that have been amazing. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we've been, ta- we've been talking to our toddler, our now toddler, we've been talking to our toddler, like we talk to each other every day since she was a little baby. And now she's, mm-hmm. you know, when, when she was two years old, she was talking like a four-year-old and yeah. And, and so on. And so, but that, and that's not a level of attention that you can get from outsourcing the parenting Mm-hmm. Of, of your children. He's like, can you outsource mm-hmm. the parenting of your children? Yes, you can. And you'll always hate the result. Mm-hmm. You'll always hate the result of it. 
because it's funny. It, yeah. And you know what? Sometimes that works, right? Foster care. Sometimes you actually force to delegate it or yeah. you have some other issues, mental health challenges, whatever may happen. But when you are fully capable and you have um, opportunity to contribute to the world, start with your children mm-hmm. and that's the gift, you know? And, it, and it's, it's interesting because it's all, it's almost become, it's almost become one of those it's almost become one of those political questions where there's a serious dichotomy in the responses that you get from parents in that, mm-hmm. you know, the, like the, the higher, more like the more highly educated, the more professionally successful, the more wealthy, the parents, they want that those responsibilities outsourced as much as they can so that they can continue to be quote unquote productive members of society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the all the while when their kid hauls off and hits somebody or you know, their kid hauls off and hits somebody or fails a test or gets caught smoking smoking weed or mm-hmm. whatever it is, they turn you know, they turn and look at the school and almost blame them for being bad parents. They blame the school system for being mm-hmm. bad parents. But then if the, if the <laughs> school, but if, the, you know, conversely, if the schools try to proactively enact procedures or behavior standards or, you know, level things that the children have to do that wade into those parenting waters, You'll mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll see the same parents throwing up their hands is like, Hey, how the hell dare you? Don't, you're not raising my <laughs> yes. kid. This is my kid. Don't you dare teach them. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you don't, you don't get it both ways. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like if, if you're going to, if you're going to dump, <laughs> if you're going to dump 35 teenagers, you know, if you're going to dump 30 preteens into the, into the lap of a 27 year old girl, you know, a 27 mm-hmm. year old woman who just got out of her master's degree and with no, with no assistance from you. And she has to bulk them and do something standardized so that she can, you know, not, mm-hmm. you know, not have kids jumping out of windows Jason, I mean, oh, (laughs) I'm just picturing that school right now, and yeah, pretty horrified. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) no, that happens. Yeah, and and it's sad. I only know this because in my high school, we used to jump out Mm -hmm. of our windows. Um, (laughs) From experience, yeah, it's like speaking from experience. It's like when Mm -hmm. when when the when the teacher can keep keep a handle Mm -hmm. on us, and there's not there's no there's nothing holding us down. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, kids will do what they will do. Um, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, how, how would you, how would you guide a conversation like that? I mean, if, if you've got, if you have one of those, I'll call them troubled parents, I can get in trouble for that. You probably can. But <laughs> like, when you get, when you get one of these parents that are incredibly, and again, this might sound offensive. I don't care. Like who are incredibly self-absorbed and self-important mm-hmm. where they're like, yeah, we checked the box. We've got the kid. Um, we make sure to send them to the school that's $25,000 a year for elementary school just so that we can be seen there. But we kind of handle them with tongs when they're around. Like we just, we, we like mm-hmm. for, for the times that they're not in school from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., we've got a nanny at home so that I can get home at 8 o'clock. You know, it's like for. Yes, yeah. But then if something goes wrong, they look at the school saying, what the hell's wrong with you? Like how. Right. What, what are some of the first steps in in dealing with those types of parents. Now, let me let me ask you this question from a different angle. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's the question that I'd like to ask you, but I'd like you to give me an answer from a different perspective. Okay. Not as, not as a, as a, not from a counselor angle, whereas mm-hmm. that you work for the school who has, who houses the child who has this parent. Mm-hmm. What about more from a social perspective? Like mm-hmm. my next, mm-hmm. my next door neighbor is like this. My cousin is like this and we're starting to see the results. Like, how do you, I, I'm interested in it from the perspective of how could you recommend laymen like us starting to sort of bring these problems to light and, or bring the perspective of these issues to light to where those, you know, those parents that I just described could seek out someone like you or like, or mm-hmm. would know necessarily where to start. I mean, obviously I'd love to hear your clinical, mm-hmm. res- your, your clinical answer to the mm-hmm. question, but from practically, you know, yes. if I, yeah. if I've got, you know, if there's a little girl that plays with my kid a couple times a week in preschool and I see the parents when they pick them up or more to the point, I don't see the parents cause they send the nanny to pick the kid up cause they couldn't, mm-hmm. they, sh- they shouldn't be bothered. But you know, we run into these people at the social functions at the events at, you know, at the gym mm-hmm. or whatever. How do you breach conversations like this in, in, in a, in a non-offensive or not necessarily <laughs> overly judgmental way? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Wh- how, how would you address something like that? Right. And my first question is, how do I a- even answer this question? <laughs> because there's so many layers to that, you know? So there are the, I guess the, um, the comfort of a school setting is almost the fact that that school setting gives you the social structure of prompting certain conversations and being able to ask certain questions gives you that opportunity to start a conversation because that's the social construct, right? In the school, we have some experts, whether we see them as such or not. You know, when you are a CEO of a company, you've been successful in your business for 30 years, and now you're sitting across the table with a teacher who, like you said, is just fresh out of college. Um, You may not consider her being an expert, but regardless of your perception as a parent, the construct of the school as being the institution where you're likely to hear opinions about your child mm-hmm. allows for those conversations to happen. So that's just um, to put it in the context of the rest of this conversation we're going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking when you are, however, in the other social setting, you know, you are a parent or I am a parent and I'm at a social function or playground pretty common experience, right? Or supermarkets or other stores where you have a tantrum going on in the middle of an aisle mm-hmm. and you are a parent in that setting. And sometimes you know those people and sometimes you don't. And a lot of these, how do you start a conversation there, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of those settings do not even allow, it would be almost crossing the boundary. Yeah. It's all, it's almost like, Hey, I know, I know your kid's screaming at the top of his lungs, but have you noticed it's kind of loud in here? Would you, you know, right. you, would you just, you know, do something about that? I hear the school's got a great program. I'm like, yeah, that's right. that's exactly yeah. the time that you want to bring that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And so sometimes, you know, people that know me know that I'm a psychologist would say, and let's say we're together somewhere and they would see a child or I would say not a child, but more a parent struggling with a 
child um, because the child just does what they do when they're not happy. But sure. the parent not having the right strategies may struggle with that scenario and just having added pressure of social environment just makes it even worse for them. Sure. So the people that know me in that setting would say, well, you know, you're a psychologist, you can go over and you can say things. No, I cannot. Um, you know, really, I can't. Um, because again, there is no permission of that kind of social structure is not there for me to have that kind of conversation. But I'm sure what I'm thinking is that people in that person's environment who know them better can start that conversation, right? So that kind of goes back to your question. If it's somebody you know, um, then maybe over time, and we can talk more about that, what that looks like over time, building, um, building the road or putting in the blocks to have that conversation, you know, setting the stage in a way to hold that conversation. But without that prep work, you can't, you know, so you may be asking questions about the child or, you know, um, is this is this what usually happens when, you know, the child doesn't get the candy or whatever is the scenario or, you know. How does, um, I, I don't know, let's, let's use my name, you know, how's, how does Julia usually share toys or, um, you know, how often do you get to do a play date or whatever that is? Then is Julia like this, um, in other places, you know, just asking different questions, but not in the way that you're going to set off, um, kind of defensiveness, you know, so it's a really, it's, it can be a long process and you can't, if you have a goal of helping them, you can't jump miles ahead of where this parent is at, you sure. know, does that make sense? It does. But, but also you don't want, you don't want to go too wide. You don't want to go too wide angle lens when you're approaching a situation like that. Cause again, like mm -hmm. go, go back to the supermarket you know, scenario and the kids screaming about right. not, not getting candy. You also don't want to walk up to them, even with your credentials as a psychologist and say, you know, so-and-so. So how do you feel right now? <laughs> I'm like, again, yeah. not the time, not the setting. Mm -hmm. it, was like, it was like, not the time, not the setting. I need, it was like, I need a cork to shut this kid up. Like there, <laughs> you know, I, but I, but it's I, also not appropriate for me. Having professional credentials does not allow me to do that, sure. right? It's it almost you, like it's I can think of someone for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I would think, just think of it this way. Someone is a dietitian or a nutritionist and sees me on a, I don't know, um, on a, on an outing somewhere and I am 300 pounds overweight and I'm just shoving in um, ice cream and, you know, pizza, just one bite ice cream, one bite pizza, whatever is happening in that moment, you know, really, can that person come over to me and say, you know, here's my card, here's my credentials, this is my badge, I'm allowed to speak to you. And now listen to me, I'm the expert, not going to work, right? Probably whatever ice cream is left in my hands, I'm just going to shove it in their face. In their face, sure. Really, exactly. but yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Sure. Um, so that's why for certain conversations, and these are sensitive topics, right? Because you're talking about somebody's pride, their children, even if they're not as involved as they could be, for parents, the children are the pride. It's the it's the project that they're um, not in control of, but they know that they own, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So there is always high potential for feeling feeling like you're being judged all the time. So if someone is coming to you with credentials, guess what? It's just a red flag and being judged and by a professional, right? Sure. So for some of these 
high stakes conversations, you need a proper holder, you know, proper environment, proper relationships, you know. So it's almost like it's too sad that sometimes I can't say things. But a lot of the times I remind myself, I don't even know know the whole story. Maybe this mom, this dad are already working with an interventionist, but, you know, they're still still learning the skills. Who am I to step into that? Right. But when I have a parent that I know or have worked with over time or, you know, if it's you and you have someone, you know, or see on a regular basis, you can if you really want to be helpful, you can start building that you know, prepare that environment for that conversation, prepare that relationship if you really want to. But I, I find that it takes so much time and people will only hear it from those that they're willing to hear it from, you know? Sure. So I, coming from their own person that they don't consider is a, a valid source of that, they will just not hear it. It's yeah, all about boundaries, you know? Sure. And and mm-hmm. I, what I what I find what I find interesting too about what something that you just said that I, that I want to make sure that I hit on because that that's a really great piece of advice. I think is the point that you said, but besides the fact that with you being credentialed, you're even, it's even less appropriate for you to step in than than more so appropriate. And that's, I mean, and that's not always necessarily the case depending on different professions or different when when we're talking about something like this for sure. But you know, Mm -hmm. if, if, if there's a guy, if there's a guy that just gets out of a car and is running down the street on fire, you know, obviously Mm -hmm. it makes more, if there's a guy that's a firefighter that's there probably makes sense to defer, to let him step in. But in a situation like this, I love, but if there is no fire, you're going to jump in, right? So what you're bringing up, Jason, is basically safety issues. So if someone is handling the child um, very aggressively, you know, pulling the arm and, you know, the kiddo is maybe two or less younger than that. And, you know, you can dislocate limbs pretty easily. Easily, yeah. You can break limbs easily. So it's almost like there are some lines then once those are crossed you're gonna know it and it's not about professional credentials anymore it's about anyone who is around that um incident is going to just jump in how can we help you and not necessarily yelling at the parent but just can we help just stepping in to interrupt that dynamic and i think the emergency situations are very different and we kind of gut reaction know how to respond to those you know sure. and if we're not sure how to handle it we don't want to make it worse we step step away sure. you know it's not always good to be the good samaritan but sure. sometimes we can and we do and yeah. there isn't much thinking going on you just jump in and you do it right mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah it, but it's... the more delicate conversations require more delicate spaces and more time sure yeah and the, and the other the other point that you brought up earlier that i want to make sure that we hit um, that I circle back to is you, the other reason that you don't step in necessarily is you don't know where they are in the treatment mm-hmm. spectrum. Like you, mm-hmm. you look at, like you walk into a grocery store, you see a screaming toddler yelling at the top of its lungs, pulling at the end of, you know, the mom's arm. But what you don't see is that, well, three months ago before they started treatment, this kid was kicking and punching and biting mm-hmm. all the people that were right. walking past her in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Now, right. now she's made her way down to screaming. This is progress. Stay mm-hmm. out. 
Yes. Can, can, you know, yes. This exactly. Is, what she's doing, like, it might still be inappropriate, but at the very least, she's not. Lo- she's no longer assaulting strangers. So this is progress. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You don't know where they are in that in that progression. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And the parent, I think so. For me, um, my work has been more around looking for opportunities um, that the parents uh, create for that kind of conversation. So parents do care and they do ask questions. So I'm just really perked up and have my listening ear ready and available to pick up on those questions. And when those questions come up, you know, how can I or what am I supposed to or what's the better way, whatever those questions are. Um, that's the invitation for the, for the conversation to happen. And of course you don't unload the whole gamut of strategies and everything. You start backing off from the kind of, I need to solve this problem to what's your goal? Like where we want to get to begin with, are we just shutting down this issue for today? The kid, you know, bit somebody, are we shutting it down for today? You want a quick bandaid for today? You want a strategy for timeout? What is are we talking about here or do we want to think about long-term goals because then we, we're going to be building a different strategy right so but without um i feel like because it's such a social dynamic it's a two-way street without another person starting the conversation it's really hard to invite them in it um, but there are other ways to create that invitation by just talking about it, for me in particular it's talking about children in general um offering some insight into how children think or how do they develop. Um, And it's less about telling parents what they're doing wrong about their particular case. Mm -hmm. And in that way, they get curious and they get to listen. If it's in your case where you are a parent talking to another parent, the way you could create an opportunity is by talking about your kids, you know, and then there may be an opportunity for them to say, yeah, you know, I was struggling with that too. Or I'm wondering about too about this issue but or maybe really your kids are doing this mine um they're not doing that so I wonder you know and then you start sharing wonders and the conversation starts right there sure right so yeah and I think uh, for me what I try to encourage parents to do is really to think about their the purpose of their work as as a parent and it takes a little a little time sometimes to get there Um, sometimes children just come to our world and we just happen to have them, but as soon as you have them, it's, it would be really beneficial to start thinking long-term, what are we trying to accomplish? Because then the minutia of the everyday and the tantrums that come up look like opportunities to get to that final goal of them being independent, right? Sure. And less about, okay, how can I get this out of my way right now? I just want this to stop. Um, and it's yeah. and it's interesting because that that seems to circle back around to the parental expectations that we talked about in the difference between public school versus private school versus mm-hmm. you know teacher parenting versus you know parent parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, it it all comes back to the parents' expectations. It's like, right. are you? It's like, do you want to make your life easier now? Or do you want to make it where you don't have to do timeouts again outside, mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm. you know, do, he's like, do you want, do you want a strategy to get the kid to stop screaming today? Or do you want them to, you know, stop screaming in public? Like, mm-hmm. th- those are two totally different conversations and two completely right. different strategies. 
mm-hmm. you know, one one of them one of them involves you know the metaphorical who's like the metaphorical use of a conversational taser, you know, and the, <laughs> you know yeah. which doesn't do anybody any good long term, mm-hmm. you know, outside mm-hmm. outside of conceivably building fear, which isn't exactly the greatest strategy as you know as right. ev- as evolution has proven, you know, <laughs> yes. Um, it gets you to do things, but it doesn't build relationships for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess get, let's, let's get, let's get a little bit more specific in that area. Like say for example, you know, of, if parents, parents, if parents understand education, they understand that parenting does start at home, but obviously, you know, just having, just being that self-realized doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to go perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. Just, you know, obviously those are, that is an environment in which kids, assuming that the parents are loving and understanding and have a general concept of what decent parenting looks like, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is vastly different from not necessarily parent to parent, but absolutely mm-hmm. from child to child. At yes, least is my yeah. my expectation a good parent to what is to now. be flexible. Yeah, yeah your like, child will demand different things. Yeah, yeah it's like and mm-hmm. it's very very similar to athletic coaches. I mean, look at mm-hmm. you look you look at athletic coaches on the sideline of a football game. There's some players that they walk up to, get nose to nose, grab their face mask, and scream <laughs> at them uncontrollably. Yeah. And then five <laughs> seconds later, he's moseying ever so slowly off over to the bench <laughs> and sitting next to a guy and talking to him at this sort of a temperament for about two or three minutes just to make sure that his head is where it needs to be and making sure that mm-hmm. everything's okay. And five seconds, five seconds later, he's, th- he's throwing a, he's throwing a Gatorade container onto the field because mm-hmm. that's what the players that ne- he needs to affect. That's what they respond to. It's very interesting how it's not, Yes, it's absolutely yeah. not the parents. It's the children. Like the children yes. respond yeah. dramatically different to, to parenting styles within a household, you know, and obviously from family to family, but obviously even within a single household. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. They have their own temperaments. And I think um, different children bring out different qualities in us as parents as well, you know, <laughs> and then um, just noticing each other as partners, the parents that are in the house, or even if you have other generations living in the house, you know, maybe there is grandmas and grandpas, mm-hmm. um, which makes it even more difficult because now you get to see another it's side of those adults you haven't seen before, sure. right? Sure. So it just complicates those dynamics and we need to take that into account when some sort of uh, sure. goals to be achieved. Sure. Yeah. And especially when you start getting in, into even more generations than that, when you start getting into, say, great grandparents, it's like when, <laughs> when you see like when you see you when you see your parents, you know, of your parents. I'm speaking for me, my generation. I'm 37 mm-hmm. years old. You know, our parents were the, the parents of my generation were pretty extreme in two scenarios. They were either stoned out hippies or incredibly strict, like incredibly strict holdovers from the previous generations. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, my, my experience was the latter. So Mm -hmm. when, but when you, it's very interesting seeing that style of parenting coming from your own parents directed at you, Mm -hmm. but then you have children and you see how they behave as grandparents. Mm -hmm. Like, 
this is the guy, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase a comedy skit that I heard one time. It's like, <laughs> this is the man that every time I asked him for 50 cents when I was a kid, he would tell me his life story mm -hmm. and how he had to work so hard for everything. Meanwhile, now that I've got grandchildren, this person walks into my house, starts shaking his pocket saying, what kind of money mm -hmm. do I have for these little children? And right. oh, look, there's candy <laughs> over here. And oh, by the way, like, don't listen to your daddy. When he was your age, you <laughs> won't believe what he yeah. did. I'm like, right. oh my God. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like that, that definitely provides a very interesting parental dynamic that I never knew existed until I had a kid. Until you had a kid. Yeah, it's so funny. That's right. I've yeah. Been, I've been having. And I've then been, it's almost a wonder, you know, who facilitate, facilitates the problem in the family, you know, who is creating that dynamic you're trying to resolve. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many people involved, so many cooks in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It becomes a big question. Sure. And, and is it, you know, and it, it's a feeling out process too, but it's like, you know, is this, is the toddler not, is like, is the toddler not being prop going through the process of potty training successfully because one parent is being incredibly loose about it and, you know, letting them still wear pull-ups when they want to, or mm -hmm. is it because the other one is too strict and saying, well, you're going to sit there on the toilet until you go and you cannot get up ever, period. <laughs> it like, And, you know, would it would it be better if they adopted one of those strategies or the other? Or does the kid understand that there's a difference between their parents and that's okay or that's not okay? Or, mm -hmm. you know, I mm -hmm. speaking as a young parent, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I, the, you know, this is this is all this is all a crapshoot, you know. I mean, mm -hmm, at least, mm -hmm. at least from an un, from an uneducated perspective, you know, par parenting's a crapshoot, and I'm sure, you know, you you it's like you don't you don't disagree. I'm I'm assuming you don't disagree too terribly much, although although you've got you've got a little bit more structure to the way that you do things than maybe. Yes, you do. and I think and I think this is very common, so I can definitely relate to that and really sympathize with that. And I think because of that sympathy is where I see the value of my work because there is a better way definitely um, but when we're doing it sort of in a sporadic manner right now I have a problem but a minute ago I didn't have it I think it's really hard to be reactive and be mindful mm -hmm. of what you're trying to achieve um, and it does take work like with anything else if you want something to work um, more than just for now then you have to not only think strategically, but you have to have time and to have those conversations with people who are also involved. The more people you have on board, the better off it's going to work, right? Sure. Um, but many parents feel this way, you know, because why? Again, we, um, as much as we remember ourselves, uh, however years we worked or wherever we were, we're dealing with adults, as adults, we rarely deal with children. And even teachers, when they deal with children in their classrooms, these are very different dynamics than you would have in your home. Um, so manipulation is less likely to happen in the classroom setting, right? But in the home, it's they know how to press some buttons and push your, you know, push your buttons and play with your nerves. And it may feel intentional, but really what our children are showing us is how creative they are in getting their needs met. Mm -hmm. But what we need to do is find a different way for them to meet their needs in the way so that it's not conflicting with our needs. But what I see parents doing, it's kind 
of just throwing in the towel, whatever you can do, what you want. That's on the one extreme end of it mm. or becoming very strict. Yeah. All right. Well, you, you don't want to eat your yogurt, then you're not going to have dinner, period. Period. Right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Or you don't want yogurt, fine, have candy and cake and whatever. So yeah, these are like, two fine. extremes, go, right? Like, <laughs> go, go over there and sit on, you know, go sit on your Elmo couch and watch Daniel Tiger for the next six hours. I don't give right. a damn. You know, I just need to take a nap. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. And this can happen when you kind of shooting in the dark and you don't know what you're doing. Um, but also they seem to be effective. And I think that's kind of the elusive attraction in this. They seem to be effective in the moment. The kid throws away the yogurt and um, it's candy and it's all quiet. Or, you know, maybe having a tantrum, but then we'll eat that stupid dinner that they didn't want to eat, mm -hmm. you know. But so in the moment, it seems to work. But long term, it's creating a lot of dynamic intention because what we're teaching our ch children to do in that moment is just become more and more creative and getting those needs met that we didn't even take to take the time to try to understand sure you know so um which by the way may is gonna start making it a hundred times worse because yes to to to, yeah. to, to, to bring up the to bring up the wonderful analogy of you know comparing children to viruses <laughs> the, <laughs> what, once you once you start inoculating you know once you start inoculating you know <laughs> against certain diseases the disease doesn't disappear it changes mm -hmm. it morphs right. it finds a way around you know it like the you yes. can't, like life life doesn't stop you know mm -hmm. it's like life Life doesn't stop, and we are we are just we are very simple, very simple higher organisms. And you know the these kids think that <laughs> these kids naively, I can't believe it, think that food will sustain their life. Weird, right? Well, right. <laughs> they think they think candy's food, and mm -hmm. like we, they don't know any different. Candy's food. They put it in their mouth, they chew it, it goes into mm -hmm. their stomach. It's food. Like why can't? Why won't you let me have food? So the mm -hmm. kids try to find other creative ways to get to what they think is food. Right. Um. You know, and just also evaluating their choices. You know, if they think it's just as nutritious as the bland yogurt you give me, I'm mm -hmm. gonna pick the sweet option. Why not? Oh, right? of course. Yeah. So. I think it's really about kind of going with the theme of your podcast. I'm thinking small moves, right? So small steps, but they have to be consistent. You can't do a smaller step and then expect to have arrived, right? Sure. Yeah. So it's small steps over time. That consistency all of a sudden does start working like magic. Sure. I'm not kidding, right? Because once you're consistent and you're inviting other adults in that space to be consistent in the same way, now you are united. The picture for the child is clear because children are wired to see patterns. The patterns in their environment show them what's safe, what's what can be anticipated. Mm -hmm. And so you see a change in behavior. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, not only that behavior is addressed, but many more other things that you just don't have enough of a bandaid to stretch over. But if you have that intervention consistently applied, you're going to see huge shifts for yeah. sure. Now, out of goofy curiosity, I mean, th this is, might, might be something of an offshoot, but of the, of the of the students that you work with, and or I should say of the parents that you work with, mm -hmm. how how much is uh, childhood nutrition? a part of conversations that you have? It comes up if we see a need for that. Okay. Um, yes, because again, um, in so many ways that you want to address the challenge, you have to approach the parent from where they're most likely to hear it. Mm -hmm. So if 
Um, if food is something is easier for them to start the conversation around, making changes there, we'll have that conversation, you know, um, even just how much sugar is in the kiddo's diet mm. or, you know, carbs and all that stuff. Um, just just watching the child too, the le the level of energy that the child has. We had kiddos that are just so... Uh, so sleepy and so grumpy and it's not because they didn't have enough sleep it's because their nutrition is not nutritious mm -hmm. it's not giving them the energy right and we had other kiddos who are just wired up and just you know uh, i don't know the batteries inside yeah <laughs> <Okay>. sure <laughs> so how much sugar was there um and sometimes it's not nutrition sometimes it's other things but um meal time is so important to even just develop those relationships you know yeah. So it's it, it's part of the conversation, but I guess it just, there is a right time for it. Sure. It needs to be kind of, again, that opportunity to have that conversation. Um, but we ask in general, what are the patterns in the family? What are the routines? Um, and, you know, in, in this day and age when everyone is so busy, kids are in school, parents are at work, whatever may be the scenario, um, mealtime is the most critical time now. And so it's almost like if you're going to have some quality time, let it be around mealtime, but make it uh, invest some time in that mm -hmm. and make it kind of, you know, this is a horrible saying. I don't like it, but two, two birds with one stone, right? So mm -hmm. you connect with your child, but you also provide good nutrition. Sure. Breakfast is also another opportunity, you know, to send them off um, for their day with a good nutritious breakfast, but also mm. a good personal connection. Kind sure. of the, the blessing for the day, if you will. You sure, know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We, 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 are, we are a cooking family. Like, we, we, we cook dinner probably five, six nights mm -hmm. a week, if not more. Um, same, mm -hmm. with, same mm -hmm. with breakfast, breakfast and lunches. Like we, we cook around here. And it, it's funny, especially now, I, I came into – the like the relationship that I have with my wife. I came into this relationship with a as a huge fan of cooking. Uh, my, my wife was a competent cook in that given the is like given the option, sure, she'll cook and she'll put food together. But now mm -hmm. now that we've kind of put our heads together and obviously since we've gotten married, you know, we cook quite a bit in the house. Um aside from aside from the nutri the nutritional benefits of it, it's just fun. Or at least it is to me. Mm -hmm. Um I've started getting my toddler involved in the cooking yes. process. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. It's amazing. How it's, it's a huge difference how, because when they yeah. participate, it's theirs. They own the process, you yeah. know, just like they wish they could eat those cookies they make out of Play-Doh, you know, mm -hmm. but here's actually something they can eat. Yeah, they can they, actually. Yeah. We, if yeah. They make that spread or they cut the, the bread or whatever you have, the veggies, they yeah. were actually the ones and they can point it out in the pot. That's the one I cut. That's mine. You know, yep. they want that on their plate. Yeah. They want ownership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They want, it's like, they want ownership. It's like they, they want their, the ki kids constantly are trying to reach to control the things that they're able to control when you're, it's like mm -hmm. when, when you're, pot, for example, when you're potty training it's like once you start. You know, once you start that process with younger kids, that 
that now, when they choose to go to the bathroom, is now something that's within their control that they will hold mm-hmm. very tightly and not do, not really want to do, you know, something that you want them to do in that in that particular area because now it's mm-hmm. something and it's a big thing. It's one of their first big things that they yes. can, that they can now control. Exactly, and they know it. They know it because they can see if we're not approaching that in the right way, they will see our frustration Mm -hmm. and our inability to get to that outcome because indeed, like you said, they control it and there is nothing we can do about it. Yeah. So yeah. And we don't want to create that dynamic. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, and just as a, as a personal example, I mean, that's a spot where we are right now. Like we're, Mm -hmm. we're in the, we're in the process of, of, um, potty training the toddler and uh, Zoe, who I, I mentioned her name enough. I should probably stop mm-hmm. calling her the toddler. Zoe, she like the, <laughs> for the, the audience has heard her name plenty of times. So when, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're potty training with her right now and it's taking a lot longer than we thought it would. We're, mm-hmm. we're dealing with a lot more accidents than we expected that we would all, mm-hmm. all the while, all the while, the the frustrating thing for us is she is displaying some of the, the most remarkable bladder control that I've ever seen in a <laughs> in a human. I don't mean just yeah. kids. Like I mean, in she she has learned to she has learned to hold it better, longer, and stronger than any any walking biped I've met. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really it's really an interesting dichotomy, and frankly, mm-hmm. I I don't know how to like I don't know how to manage it at this point. Like, is it you know? And as a parent, it's frustrating. It's like, did we start too late? Did we start like did we start too early? Did we start too late? And it's like we started when she was you know give or take two and a half. Um, she's about two years, eight months now. And we, you know, so it's been a couple month and a half or so, and she still doesn't really have it. Um, but she was, she was showing a lot of interest in the potty when she was 18 months old, but we didn't pursue it then because we thought it was too Mm -hmm. early. Did we miss the boat? You know, Mm -hmm. these are all kinds of things that just rattle around in my head and my wife's head. And, you know, it is, it's frustrating because it's, because it's something and it's hard to not have that frustration conveyed to the children yes, when, when yes, you're, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that, that's hard. I mean, for, for, so some- I think for an adult in this dynamic, right. Um, the two of you, um, I think needing to sit down and figure out what, what the game plan is long-term because we hope it's going to work today or maybe tomorrow, but if it doesn't, you know, worst case scenario, what are you going to try to do and have a game plan so that you're not frustrated with each other to begin with, right? Sure. Um, and can support each other in the process. And every kid is different, um, but there is always a way to set it up in the way that it's going to work. But for anyone struggling, I guess, deciding what is the time that we are going to ask for some help and assistance, right? Yeah. But what I see happening is in um, families is someone at the beginning we're committed we're doing this together but but then someone in this diet decides that they're going to get help without talking this over first right Mm -hmm. committing to this assistance from somebody else and that doesn't work we need to communicate and let each other know you know how is this process going for us do we need somebody else to um, help us out and Mm -hmm. doing that together as well right sure Uh, 
yeah, or, you know, just even reevaluating the process you currently have. What are the missing blocks? What else can we do? Um, and sometimes even looking at the timeline, you know, have we been doing this long enough? What do you think? Whom can we ask? Yeah. Because sometimes we do it long enough, but even with that period, we were not consistent, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, s- small step towards that goal. But if you're doing just like you're taking one step per week, I'm, you know, I'm in the in Massachusetts. So if I want to go to New York City, it's going to take me, I don't know how many years to get there if I take one step per week. Sure. Right? I'm never going to get there. Sure. So just reevaluating. But if I'm on the plane and I'm already traveling 10 hours, something's wrong here. <laughs> right? Do, do you get that analogy? Yeah, absolutely. So sure. <laughs> just really looking at the process because it's all understood within the context of our own situation. Gotcha. And sometimes when you have a little one in the picture, um, that someone that's younger than the child you're trying to potty train, mm-hmm. how come the, the other one has diapers and you're asking me not to use them anymore? Sure. There's that as well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of little things that can kind of contribute to that resistance. Um, and it's all, you're right. It's A lot of it is about control. So looking into other options of where the child can have control naturally, can say no, can say I'd like to and yes and insist, but then leave that area less of a power struggle, you know? Yeah. yeah. Almost like you don't need to decide because I said so. You can feel it yourself and be ready when you're ready. But it's a process for sure. And I think it's understanding what the... So that's your goal to get there, but what are the smaller steps? And those small steps will depend on your particular situation. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So the... I guess one of the last questions that I sort of wanted to get into, because obviously I could talk about this stuff for hours. You oh, know, th- yeah. Th- this is, and you were yeah. talking to the right person. I can talk about that for hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it, rather, than, rather than, you know, throwing throwing a five-hour interview at my, at the audience, <laughs> um, maybe it's something that maybe we could sort sort of agree to say, hey, maybe let's come back on the show at a different at, a, mm-hmm. at another time to, to address mm-hmm. a couple other topics. Maybe that would be more audience requested mm-hmm. um so i mean for for people i mean for people that you brought up an interesting thing at the very beginning about the dynamic between public versus private versus um say homeschool like how mm-hmm. do you see i mean are there any broad generalities that you can draw among between those three those three groups of parents like, is there, is there anything that you would say that sort of differentiates the, like one group versus another or mm-hmm. the particular struggles of one group versus another? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the reason, the reason I'm asking this is also very, it was like very much selfishly, you know, my, mm-hmm. my wife and I, we've got a nearly three-year-old. This is a, mm-hmm. this is a topic of conversation, which of those three options that we want to look at is something that is coming up in conversation. We're pretty sure that we've settled on what we want to do, but obviously we have some time, so you never know what second mm-hmm. guesses what second guesses might have. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of like what what? Do, I mean, yeah, I think if if anything, the only um, conclusion I can make about these three different groups, three very general groups, again, right, sure. is that um, when you're moving. From public to private to personal, I would say that's mm-hmm. the homeschooling is very personal. Sure. Um, then you just get more and more um, 
tailored instruction. Mm-hmm. So, and you have more choices. So, and and they come at a cost, right? It's an investment, um, something you have to be willing to put in. If it's a private school, you are going to be budgeting differently. If it's a personal kind of investment in homeschooling, you're investing your time, but maybe also um, compromising on other income because you are with a child. Yeah. Whatever, whatever ends up happening, that comes at a cost so but it just depends and that's the only kind of um conclusion i can make is that from one group to the next you're seeking more of the tailored instruction but the reasons why you're doing that will vary drastically across the groups and it also depends there is a public school in a small town that's surveying kids in the way that maybe a private school in the bigger city is doing in the same way. Does that make sense? Yes. But because in your area, there is just no such choice. You will have to pick a private option if that's what you want to do. Um, then there is private options. There are um, parochial schools that are not as expensive. Um, so it's all these choices that the parent has to to make based on the values they have and what are they seeking. So I wouldn't um, jump into conclusion to say, okay, someone who is in the private education um, is seeking that tailored kind of more, um, um, you know, maybe it's a private school that's very STEM-oriented, hands-on, kind of we're building new uh, generation of entrepreneurs kind of spirit and thinking. Sure. I wouldn't say that that family chose that school because of that necessarily, but maybe it's because they they want that esteem of a private school or they know that if something should happen, they would have a better service. Mm -hmm. So there are different reasons why someone would select kind of a more tailored environment. In a, say, homeschooling setting, maybe it's people like you, Jason, you want to travel. Mm -hmm. Homeschooling probably will be the option that works best for you because it's most flexible, right? Sure. It's like Uh, your local public school generally won't let you graduate if you spent the last six months in Thailand or, you know, or whatever. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, or it could be, so this, I, if I'm just looking at somebody that's deciding to homeschool, I wouldn't know, is it because the flexibility and they need to travel and they need to do other things? Or is it because the child has severe disabilities that the parents feel like the school is not um, is not meeting, but they cannot afford a private setting. Sure. So there is a lot that goes into the decisions that people make. But I think the generality is that kind of going from the more mainstream cookie cutter system to more um, tailored environments and more personalized instruction. Sure. And it's, does that it, sense? it does. It's funny that that's, that's an exact scenario that my wife has pointed out among some, several of her um, past um, tutoring clients that she has for mm-hmm. her, for her tutoring business is exactly that it's like the like the kids have a problem whatever that problem is they're not being reached in the school setting but in order to qualify to receive some sort of county funded benefit to fulfill the needs that that kid has the kids need to fit a very tight box yes. in that yeah. well like for exa- for example you've got you know you 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 have a kid that might be reading at a level that's you know two grade levels below them 
but they're still finding some way to get all B's in their court mm-hmm. in their classes. So they're not really failing they're yet. Not, they're not failing. Yeah. They're not failing yet. So it's like, yeah. well, we're not going to help you now. Nothing's wrong. See, look, she passed her class. She passed her class. Right. It's like, yes, but she like, yes, but the girl's got an IQ of 165. Something's wrong. Yeah, and it's like, overcompensating somewhere. Yeah, yeah, she's over. Like, like the like the there's there's clearly something wrong. Like, there's clearly something wrong because she should be up here or when when you ask this kid that's getting all b's that looks like nothing's wrong if you sit down with them across a table and ask them for their personal perspective on something they have no answer and they simply mirror the response of anyone else that's around them which means they can't process the question they don't know what the hell you're talking about it's just mm-hmm. they but you the but again getting back to the brass tacks it's like well well yeah, that sucks, but you know they're getting bees, so you know best of luck. I, but then, yeah. again, but conversely, you know the parent doesn't have twenty five thousand dollars a year to pay for this to pay for the specialized school that could legitimately help their kid. So it's mm-hmm. like, do we, you know, do we do homeschool? Do we do do we ramp up? Do we burden the child by ramping up to doing two hours of tutoring every night after school, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. burden the child with that extra 10 hours worth of schoolwork every week that uh, that other kids their age don't have to do? You know, it's 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 tough. Yeah, it is. And I think the challenge you're pointing out is um, it's it's ultimately the challenge of funding because there aren't unlimited funds in school settings and systems and constantly cuts are being done. So sure. um, there is always going to be some way to create some sort of cutoff at which point you are or are not getting services. Sure. Um, so, you know, in some places, some districts, if the stakes are really high and the expectations are really high, the same kiddo could be getting supports. But in sure. another educational um, system or state district, there may not be the funding for that. So the cutoff for what is considered to be failure is going to be in a different place. Sure. So that's that's the fault of the system. And I, and I think when you as a parent try to think, what is the best for my child? You have an option to fight the system and really try to get something. Or, you know, you have to consider what else can I do, you know? Sure. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I would just always consider the bigger picture of the child is be an okay outcome or do we need A's and what are we willing to sacrifice to get there? You know, a lot of the brilliant people we know, you know, dropped out of high school. I don't recommend it. I don't advise it. I think the longer you stay in the structured setting, the more opportunity you have to mature, but lives are different. And, you know, to me, it's more about resilience and what kind of life skills are you building and not as much the grades you're getting. So it could be a kiddo that's well-adjusted, is not really doing well in school, but other than that, is building really solid core life skills. Mm-hmm. And you can see them in a different setting, in a different um, structure, not the school structure, because it's so rigid, to be doing really well. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's important to consider the bigger picture yeah, of like, what that achievement represents, right? Yeah, like you've got a high, you've got a high school senior that might be a C-average student like he's a C average student, but he's varsity in three sports. He's had the same he's had in high school, shockingly. He's had the same girlfriend for three years. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's mm-hmm. and he started, you know, mowing lawns when he was ten and now he's eighteen mm-hmm. and he's got a landscaping business where he's got four employees as a high school. 
school senior. Right, I'm like, right. you know what? That yeah. kid's that kid's gonna be fine. Leave it. Yeah. Leave the leave yeah. those C's alone. And it's like right. <laughs> it's like this is a very well adjusted mm-hmm. child. Leave him alone. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, you know, think about sort of um, basic survival mechanisms. You need to be resourceful, right? Yeah. So if something is not, um, you're not achieving something, it's harder to change the environment. Your podcast is right on there. Anything you want to do, you do it in small moves. And a lot of that will be your own work and not necessarily moving other people to do that work, right? Sure. Um, there was a movie I forget really old movie, but that scene, I just, it just got ingrained in my mind. Someone is sitting at the table and it's a little bit farther away from the table. And instead of moving the chair and the guests are sitting around picture, you know, maybe like 20, 30 people at the table. Mm-hmm. And here comes the, the, um, probably the head of the household. I don't even remember sits on the chair and pulls the whole table towards oh, them. Oh God, I remember that. Right? I, re- I remember. I remember the scene. That <laughs> I don't you're even remember about. the movie. I can't remember that either. But for some for some yeah. re- for some reason, Jackie Gleason is popping into my head. I don't know if it was the toy. Who knows? Like it might have been the maybe, toy. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, but it's yeah. an old. Yeah, it's somewhere in the nineties. That yeah, I, and I just remember that scene. And everyone has to move, but not that person. I, like, so I I appreciate you bringing that up. I'm going to be spending my next two hours of my life trying to figure that out so thank you for that (laughs) when you do let me know (laughs) (laughs) well anyway i think that's a really solid place to wrap up um Mm -hmm. the one question that i have for all the guests on the show is um and i like i like to wrap up with this is that you know the the principle of small moves is trying to find the small things that make the biggest difference Mm-hmm. Um, from what you can recall, can you think of a purchase that you've made in relatively recent memory of a hundred dollars or less that's had a fairly significant impact on your life or the life of somebody around you? This, considering the nature of your work, this could be for you know a parent or some of the kids that you mm-hmm. that, that you work with. Like you know, it's like an app that finally keeps the scatterbrain kid focused, and it's. <laughs> You know, it's had a dramatic impact on yeah. their schooling or, you know, the thing that helps the the parents that you're coaching, you know, puts the six-month-old to sleep who hasn't slept straight through the night ever. And mm-hmm. so that they can, you know, wh- whatever it can be, it can, it can, I prefer something that is directly impacts you, but as a, just because of the nature of what you mm-hmm. do, um, I'd be open for yes. a, like a recommendation that you've made to a parent that's made a significant difference as well. Yes. Yeah. And and I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of all these different cases. And obviously, it depends on what the parent is struggling with or what the issue is with the child. Um, there's a gazillion of small resources that cost almost nothing. You know, if we're talking about apps, a lot of them are free, but it takes time to find them, right? Sure. Um, but I think the biggest gift we can um make ourselves and something we can't purchase is time and space. And I know this sounds weird, but in small ways we can. So I'm thinking a lot of the parents I work with, and sometimes I use the same principle as well. If I'm struggling and I'm stuck in problem solving around something, some sort of issue, and I need to decide how am I going to move ahead or, you know, what are the smaller steps to get there? Mm -hmm. I find that finding 
purchasing time and space in some other area outside of that noise of your regular life mm -hmm. is what is really beneficial. And this can look like many in like many things. You know, you could rent a space in your local uh, library, or there's work-along spaces that you can rent, or getting a babysitter um, and just paying somebody to take care of that area of your life. Children sometimes need space away from us, but also we need the same, right? Um, or someone taking care of our dinner and mm. or, you know, household or whatever we can delegate. It doesn't cost a lot. It just depends how much time and space do you need. But sure. those things can be can be purchased for under $100 for sure. And I think investment in time and space is really super, super important. Can you think of an example of a purchase of time or space that you've done for yourself that's had the the biggest mm -hmm. difference for you? Yes, uh, just just getting away from my family and booking a night at, at a hotel. And it was under $100, so it was not a very fancy one. <laughs> but it, it gave me the space not to worry. You know, I'm going to be interrupted for dinner or for lunch. And we I have to, you know, when I come out of my office, uh, socialize with my family, you know. And it just gives you that space just to be on your own, taken up if you need to, and just uh, put together some sort of plan, a project I was working on. So, but I see that in so many other ways, you know, even just, I don't know what rates are in different places people live and, and listen from, but I'm sure for under $100, you could find someone who can take care of your children um, so you can have some room to breathe and step away. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool deal. All right. So if the audience is listening and they want to try and track you down, find out some more about you and your business and, oh, by the way, your podcast as well. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, go, go ahead and just sort of tell tell the audience where they mm -hmm. can find, find out more about you. Yes. Yeah, so I do have a website. It's juliapappas.co. Um and there, I also have a podcast that's called Minimum Viable Parenting, which can open a whole box of a conversation right now, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> I was going to say, that, basic, that sounds awesome. Go ahead. Yes. The basic premise is that we're, is, I, I touched upon that a little bit in our conversation, but it's about the the deeper core values that we can think of in the structure for our parenting work. and the three tenets that hold the parenting together. Mm -hmm. And those are nurture principle, the values and the boundaries. And everything I talk about kind of revolves around those three areas. So to find the podcast, it's on my site, but you can also get there through um, minimumviableparenting.com just through that link as well. And okay. I, I'm, I'm imagining you can link to that, right, Jason? Yeah, I'll, I'll be linking to it in the show notes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep, and absolutely, yes. and, and a couple of your articles that you put out as well this past this past summer were actually really interesting as well. I'm going to link to a couple of those too. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that is awesome, Julia Pappas. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening again to this episode of the show today. I really enjoyed that conversation with Julia. I hope you did as well. I hope you got something out of it. I know me and Carrie definitely did. Oh, really quick before you go, 
I wanted to ask you to follow me on Twitter. You can find me at Jason Hertzberger or go over to the community Facebook page and just leave me a comment over there to let me know what you thought about this conversation today with Julia. You can find that at smallmoves.co forward slash community, smallmoves.co forward slash community. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show, and I will talk to you next time around. You've got this.